Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. Do you feel like you're losing control over your finances? If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services and take advantage of the Fresh Start program and new laws that may allow us to negotiate a settlement for the lowest amount possible. Our team of tax attorneys and enrolled agents can stop collections and get you protected so you can take control of your financial future. Tax Mediation Services is accredited by the Better Business Bureau. Call now for a free case review and a price protection guaranteed quote. Call Tax Mediation Services now at 800-616-4080. That's 800-616-4080. 800-616-4080. This is Radio Influence. This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders on Radio Influence. Coming up on this week's edition of the MMA Insiders Podcast, I'm going to be joined by 14-fight veteran EJ Brooks to talk about some of the hot topic items in the sport of mixed martial arts. EJ and I will discuss this weekend's UFC 205, EJ's thoughts on the current state of MMA, a fighter's union competing on the quote-unquote regional scene, drug test testing, and, and we will answer questions submitted on social media. Now, before I bring in EJ, I want to let everyone know about our sponsor, Fight TV. Fight is the go-to app for MMA practitioners and fans. Live pay-per-views, TV tapings, full-length matches, interviews, movies, and documentaries. Fight is your number one source for MMA, boxing, and pro wrestling video. Watch MMA, wrestling, and boxing live on the screen of your choice, phone, tablet, or TV using the Fight app. Download Fight Free today by going to fite.tv forward slash radio influence forward slash. Now we welcome in Bellator RFA and Titan FC vet EJ Brooks. EJ, how's it going, man? Well, good, man. How you doing? I'm doing very good, doing very good. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, fans will, will know you from uh, your time in, in Bellator. Uh, most recently in Titan FC, it's uh, it was March of this year, your last fight. You, you got to win there. So what has been going on since uh, that fight? Dude, man, I just I haven't been able to get a fight. I can't. I mean, I've I've signed contracts, uh, and opponents have even got hurt or like just backed off for whatever reason. It's it's one of those things. I'm one of those guys that nobody wants to fight outside of the UFC or Bellator, and it's it's hurt me because I'm not getting any younger and I'm not making no money right now. So it sucks. Why do you think no one wants to fight you? Um, I mean. A lot of guys are protecting their records. A lot of guys want to pat their records. They want to get signed. So if if you're not already in the UFC or in Bellator, I'm not the type of guy you want to fight. I mean, I got really good wrestling. I'm an athlete. I mean, you watch video of me, and you're like, okay, this guy's not an easy fight. I've only been finished once. Uh, actually, I've got five losses, and four of those guys are in the UFC. And the other guy, he he was in Bellator, but he can't pass a drug test, so he'll never be in the UFC. You know, and we'll get we'll get into drug testing here because uh, obviously the John Jones situation came down this week. Uh, also, George mm-hmm. Sullivan 
Uh, he has been uh, he's accepted a, a one year sanction. I read the entire John Jones situation. Um, I think it's you know it, it's interesting. I mean, obviously you're around a, a lot of guys, guys that are in the UFC, other organizations, and I don't know if you hear it the same way I do, but it just seems like there's a lot of people still in this industry that they don't know whether to trust Usada. Uh, man, I'm kind of on the fence with it because I, I wish Usada was out about four years ago. You know, when I was coming up in Bellator and stuff like that. Because it would have made things like for people like me easier. I'm a natural athlete. I work hard and I've always done things the right way. And, um, I just feel like right now they're cleaning up the sport and you're starting to see these natural guys who weren't that big, who were always like around a top 30 in their weight class, but they just couldn't get over the, the Vitor Belfords or the Eric Silvers of their weight classes. And now you're trying to see those guys rise to power, you know, and uh, it's just one of those things. I mean, they're not always going to be right, but for the most part, I think they're doing more good than they're doing damage. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think it's great that we're cleaning up the sport. I think that's first and foremost, I think it's great. It's obviously, you have to commend Lorenzo Fertitta and Dana White for saying, okay, we need to clean this sport up. I mean, you know, they didn't have to go the route they went. I mean, they're spending a ton of money, um, and they're losing a ton of fights. I mean, just go back to UFC 200 and everything that happened there with John Jones and also with Brock Lesnar. But, you know, one of the things about drug testing, and you can talk about this on the regional scene, um, there's just not much out there. I, I know here in Florida, the only drug testing that essentially happens, and it's because it's in the, the state bylaws, is for title fights. All fighters in a title fight have to be drug tested. But outside of that, you can you know you can guarantee if you're not in a title fight, you're not getting drug tested in the state of Florida. Yeah, and I think a lot of guys down in Florida or all stuff. I I can't say who, but. A few years ago, I was training with a guy in the UFC, um, pretty high up, and uh, he was like, uh, he asked me, was I taking anything? And I, I was like, no, because I was having issues. I was getting hurt all the time because I work hard, you know? And uh, he was like, well, you should. You should you should take this. He, he listed a bunch of stuff I should take, and I was like, you take all that stuff. He's like, yeah, this is legal. This is legal. This doesn't show up on tests. And you do this, you do this. And I'm like, dude, I don't want to do that. I'm like, if I can't make it clean, I just don't need to make it. And he's like, bro, everybody's taking something. And I was like, nah. He was like, I know. And I, and, and the thing was, was like, I believed him. Mm-hmm. Not in the sense of that everyone is taking something, but I felt like a good high percentage of the guys who have made it and are high up in this sport are taking something that they shouldn't be taking. It, was there ever a time where you – did you kind of have that thought process of why am I stepping into the cage with someone who may be on something? Yeah, last summer. My last loss when I fought the – no, it wasn't my last loss. It was the, the loss before the last. When I fought in Argentina, uh, me and this guy were supposed to fight in Bellator. The fight never happened. And I just remember – I took the fight because I was like, okay, I'm not really threatened by this guy. And I remember going down there and seeing this guy. And I'm like, how has he gotten bigger and stronger over three years' time? You know, and I was like, I'm walking into a setup against a steroid head. And it, I think that's the only time that I ever really felt like I was fighting a guy that was a cheat that was a cheater. 
And, and don't I recall that we talked about, I think after that fight, that you said you would never go down the Argentina and fight again? Never. Never. Like, it was the, that was like one of the worst experiences of my life. Um, accommodations, they, they, I remember one night, um, it was two nights for the fight. My opponent was eating dinner with the president of the organization down in the lobby. Um, I didn't get to watch him weigh in, which was like weird. Like they did a mock weigh in where we all took pictures, mm-hmm. but when we actually got on the scale. I didn't get to see my opponent weigh in. I never saw him cutting weight the whole week. Um, I was eating shitty food. I got sick. We actually didn't want to fight, but they kind of, Let's just say they, they, they told my manager and my, uh, and my trainer that I, I better fight. You know, I think there's a lot of people listening to this are probably going, that's crazy. That's crazy. But unfortunately in MMA, it's stuff you hear about all the time. You mentioned about the weigh-ins, you know, obviously the new thing going on is the the early weigh-ins and then of course the mock weigh-ins later on. Um, you know, we saw last week at the Bellator show where Paul Daly does not show up to the mock weigh-ins, and it was because of, of physical issues. He actually uh, received an indefinite suspension from the Mohegan Tribe Department of Athletic Regulations. He has to get cleared by a doctor, a doctor that I really can't even pronounce, but it's a kidney doctor. He, he's, um, you know, has there ever been a time in, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of times you've seen guys just go through terrible weight cuts and, you know, maybe it wasn't in their right uh, health-wise to be fighting the next night, but did you ever have anything like that where you just had an awful weight cut where it, it may have been dicey of whether you were going to fight the next day? Uh, I'm trying to think. I missed Wade and Bellator a couple of times. And I, there was one uh, – I fought in New Jersey, Atlantic City, New Jersey, and I was dying. I mean – uh, Lyman Good was cutting weight with me, and I just remember the look on his face because I was laying in the sauna naked, butt naked, no towel, no drawers, no no shirt, nothing. And he was like, "It ain't worth it, man." <laughs> and my coach, my coach is like, "You're not getting out of this sauna." But I remember like the room was spinning, and then like I made weight, and um, I was even telling my coach, I was like, "Man, I, I don't know if we're ready to fight tomorrow." He's like, "You'll be fine." Um, you know, just get rehydrated. And I went out there the next day and I dominated, but that was, that was like the, the, the closer to death I ever had in a weight cut. You know, one of the things the Association of Boxing Commissions is, is likely going to recommend next year is, is changing up uh, some of the weight classes. They want to get rid of 170. They want to add 165, one, uh, 195. Uh, you know, so there'd be 10 pounds between each weight class. So 55, 65, 75, 85, 95, 205. They would not, there was talk that they were going to add a cruiserweight, 225, but that's now out the window. And, and I've talked to a lot of guys who, you know, they're kind of in that middle range between 170 and 155. Um, I'm one of those guys. <laughs> I, I, I remember having a conversation with David Rickles about this. And, and, and this was when there was talk that there was going to be recommendations this year for it. And I said, what do you think? He goes, oh, man, you tell me we got 165. He goes, that's my perfect weight class. He goes, because I have to cut so much to get down to 155. But at 170, these guys are just monsters. I I, I just don't have the size to be in there. And, you know, I think of Nate Diaz. I think he's, from a UFC standard, a perfect example because – 
you know, he cuts a lot of weight to get to 155, but, you know, yeah, he can fight 170 against, you know, Conor McGregor, who in reality is a 155-er. And he's got he's got the height to, to deal with that in the, yeah. the jiu-jitsu. Like with me, like I took that fight at 70 this past March, and I've got the wrestling. My wrestling is so, so high level that as long as you're not another high-level wrestler, I can con- compete with most welterweights, you know, that aren't like just world beaters. Yeah, you know, it's it's it's. I, I think it's great because ultimately, what it is, it's, it's fighter safety, you know, and and that's what under the direction of Mike Mazzulli, everything is about fighter safety with him. It was interesting. I also saw, you know, Sergey Karatanov, who got knocked out in 16 seconds. I don't know if you saw that knockout or not. Just uh, Javi Ayala just dropping him like a ton of bricks. He he gets a, I believe it was a two months of medical suspension, and you know, I guess he's trying to fight in Russia next month, which I. I, I which I don't know if he doesn't understand this, but Mike Mazzulli is a guy that's now regulating all of Bellator's international events. So if you're Bellator, you're going to Sergey going, man, you're not fighting because all of a sudden then we're not going to be able to use you because, you know, Mike Mazzulli may now suspend him up to a year if he takes that fight. Yeah. And I've only been knocked out once and I can assure you, you don't want to be rushing back. I was talking to Ryan Couture about that recently, and he said that you know he he had a, a pretty devastating knockout back in, in January against uh, Patricky Pitbull, and he said he's like I wanted to give my brain some time to relax, and also it, it, I kind of took it as he was kind of having that con- you know contemplating whether he wanted to to continue fighting. I mean, I, I guess it's when you get knocked out. I mean, is it just one of those things of you can't rush the judgment, and, and you got to kind of wait a couple weeks before you kind of figure out what's next? Uh, well, speaking from experience, it only happened once and it was also my first loss. So I was just going through a world of things. Um, it, I mean, it's hard to recover. Uh, you, your body doesn't react the same to a lot of things. You know, sun, you're sensitive to sunlight. Uh, you're, you're slow with reaction. You know, uh, you just, you just don't feel the same, you know, and it's one of those things, it's serious. So you think about your life in a long time. When I got knocked out and I saw how it affected me in my everyday life, I seriously contemplated, like, is this something I want to keep doing? Because I never got hurt before. I was like, I could really damage myself for the long haul. But, of course, you, you've obviously uh, continued on. One of the things that people may not know about you, you, co- you coach wrestling uh, there uh, in your hometown. Uh, I know you, you coach some kids there and we've talked about the past uh, of coaching those kids. So, uh, h- how's, uh, how's the wrestling season going? Uh, well, today was day two. Um, they've been looking good. I'm gonna knock on wood. Uh, we'll, we'll, we're a little young, you know, last year we, we had a lot of freshmen in the lineup and they're sophomores now. Uh, I'm always, um, uh, in high hopes for the season when we start, you know, I'm, I'm just happy to see the kids happy to see that they're happy to be in the room. Uh, honestly, like wrestling, coaching wrestling is probably my favorite thing. I love it more than fighting. I love it more than working at the high school. It, it's just one of those things, man. It's, it, it's, it's good to give back. And I like seeing kids improve. I, I got to wonder how many of these kids are, are asking you about fighting in terms of, sure, are, are they already, already thinking about being fighters? Oh, I thought you said it was just about me because I had like three kids. I was like, Coach, when are you fighting again? You know, uh, I got a couple kids that, you know, want to fight. I, I I probably get one or two kids that go into MMA every year, you know, not just because of me, but just because that's what they want to do. I, I'm actually from a rough area. Even the school that I coach at, 
it's like the the I don't know how to explain it. It's it's a it's a rough town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, the school I coach at, Granite City High School, has the most victories of any high school in the country, the United States. Really? And they're they're in first place by over a few thousand. See, I, I live here in the Tampa Bay area, and Brandon High School is is well known nationally as one of the best wrestling programs. Um, there was a, a local fighter here who was actually on a, a CES show this past weekend. He actually uh, trains with the team. That's how he gets his his wrestling preparations in. I mean, do you do you have a lot of fighters that that come into your practices with your high school athletes? Uh, here and there. Uh, <clears throat> I don't like it unless unless you're a former wrestler. I hate when guys want to come in and wrestle. Mm-hmm. with my kids because you don't know what you're doing and you're actually kind of hurting my kids development. You, you understand what I'm saying? Like, unless you yeah. were a wrestler and you know how to be a technical wrestler, you're just coming and getting a workout. Like it's helping you, but it's not helping my kid because you don't know what you're doing, you know? So I don't like it, but we do have a couple of alumni that, that do fight. And they come back and they get a workout in and it's pretty good. Of course, uh, this weekend's a, a major weekend in MMA, UFC 205. Of course, we're recording this on uh, Tuesday night, election night here uh, in the United States. And uh, the UFC did reveal earlier today that the middleweight matchup between Rashad Evans and Tim Kennedy is off this fight card due to uh, medical uh, licensing issues when it comes to Rashad Evans. Uh, Rashad posted a video on Instagram. I mean, just looked absolutely cut up at, at 195 pounds. And, and I was really interested to see what... Rashad would look at 185. When we talk about that 195-pound weight class, Rashad Evans, to me, would be the, the perfect guy for that weight class. But it, it's still – it's it's a great fight card lineup. I mean, you know, top to bottom. Um, you know, obviously, Connor and Eddie. Um, I keep going back on who I'm picking in this fight. Um, I'm probably as – I'm probably more interested in the co-main event just stylistically of how Tyron Woodley is going to match up against the karate style of, of Stephen Thompson. <sighs> Man, here's, here's what I know about Tyron. People don't know, like me and Tyron, we got a, we got a relationship that goes back to like when I was in college, I've known Tyron since I was in high school. I actually looked up to Tyron when he was in college wrestling. And I was in high school cause he's from my area. Um, what I've always known about Tyron is he – I don't say he's his own worst enemy, but, like, if – nobody beats Tyron but Tyron. Mm-hmm. That's just me. Like, I feel like if Tyron steps into any competition, whether it's wrestling or MMA, if he believes he is the man and he goes out there with the intent to prove that, I don't think he can be beat. If there's any doubt, any doubt, he's in trouble. That's not saying that he's he's guaranteed to lose. It's just saying that he can be defeated if he has doubt. But if he when he goes in there, and he believes he's the man. I don't see him losing, you know. So going out there against Wonder Boy, I'm like, I I think he can submit Wonder Boy. People don't say Tyra's got really good jujitsu. He's got really good jujitsu. He he hasn't really used it a lot since his earlier fights. Like if you go back and watch all his old strike force fights, I think he submitted like the first four or five guys that he fought. You know, um, I trained with the guy, so I know what he's got on the ground. Um, for instance, uh, like obviously he's got punching power. He, I mean, not just punching power, but kicking power. I've trained with great strikers, Tiago Alves, um, Hector Lombard, uh, Tyron Woodley, 
I mean, I could just name drop all yeah. day. You know, I've got beat up by all those guys. I've been dropped three times my entire inmate career in a training session. All three have been my tyrant. You know, and I can just continue to name drop how many elite, powerful strikers I've trained with. And like I said, I'm not saying they didn't beat me up, but I'm just saying only one person has dropped me, and he's dropped me three times, you know. So I know what he's got. Um, I just believe that if he goes out there and executes whatever game plan he has, I don't know what it is. I ain't talked to him about it, you know, but if he executes, I see him winning, you know, I just – yeah, I mean, I it's another fight I go back and forth on. Um, I, I'm leaning Woodley in this fight, in the, but I guess the one question you have is, and it goes for both fighters. Now we have seen uh, Wood, our Wonder Boy go five rounds, but if this fight were to get into the fourth and fifth round, you know, is there somebody who's who's going to be in better shape? You don't know. I mean, you know, it could be could be Woodley that you know this fight gets to the fifth round and and he comes out and it's, it looks like it's the first round. But I mean, you know it. That has always been the question mark with Tyron Woodley. Um, but uh, until he gets in those situations where he can shut up the naysayers, it's always going to be something people are going to point to with him. Yeah. I mean, you know, now look when you go out there, you knock fools out in the first round. You know, hey, you know, what, what's the point of going into the third or fourth or yeah, fifth round? You know, and it's it's one of those things. You know, like everybody wants to fight on their terms. Like, not throwing a shot at Carlos Condit, but I remember when him and Tyron had to fight, and he was bitching about, I want this to be a five-round fight. It's not a title fight. It's a co-main or it is the main. It should be a, a five-round fight. And I'm like, you know, you could think that. You could secretly want that. But, like, to actually ask for it, you're pretty much admitting, I can't beat this guy in a three-round fight. Mm-hmm. I need five rounds, which, I mean, because the stigma was Tyron was he can't keep the gas up for four or five rounds. But I just felt like that was kind of like a bitch move. And I'm willing to bet, you know, Wonder Boy's probably thinking the same thing. He's like, okay, I want to fight this guy and beat him in the later rounds. And um, he doesn't really believe he can beat Tyron early. And I think Tyron's in a situation where he knows he can beat him early. But he he also needs to be able to prove that he can beat this guy in five rounds if it goes to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the thing with uh, Woodley, and I think it was unfortunate for, for Tyron for a long time, is a lot of people looked at that matchup against Carlos Condit and they did not give him the credit he deserved for that fight. The fact of, you know, even before the injury, he, he was controlling the, the, the pace. And, you know, for a long time, people said, oh, well, Carlos got injured in that fight. But, I mean, when you go back and you watch that fight, I mean, he he, he was in control of that fight. I mean, it, it's a great matchup uh, between them two. For, for you, I mean, obviously you mentioned about your, your relationship with, with Woodley. Is there any other fight that just as a a fan of the sport that really has you interested just to kind of see how it plays out? Outside of Tyron's fight? Yeah. Uh, man, I was really looking forward to the Rashad Evans-Tim Kennedy fight. Um, let me see, off the top of my head. Uh, I mean, Weidman Romero is an interesting one. Romero's first fight back since uh, the USADA suspension. How does Weidman look? I mean, I think that's... Yeah, that's and, a big... And, that's a, and, and Romero, I trained with him down at ATT. He's a freak. He, You know, like, and I... I just want that's a that's a that's an interesting fight because you got 
two elite wrestlers, and you got Wyman, who's just really technical, but also an athlete fighter. And then you got this not so technical, but freak of an athlete, athlete fighter. And I'm just wondering, I'm like, man, you know, is Yo gonna be able to just blast through? Cause how many times you see Yo just do some kind of weird strike where he just jumps and knees somebody or yeah. throws some kind of overhand or blast through something and just take you out, you know? But at the same time, you know, out of nowhere, Wyman can hit some amazing move and just finish you out of nowhere. But I'm really looking forward to out of this whole fight card, the, um, the Jeremy Stevens and, um, Frank, Frankie, uh, Frankie Edgar. Edgar. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's the fight that intrigues me the most. That, I, I mean, cause Frankie gets dropped a lot, but, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy knocks people out. Like he might, he might have got joked when he said what he said to Connor, but he, he was, he was serious, man. He, he does put people to sleep. But here's the thing about that. When you go back and you look at that press conference, he's the only fighter who took advantage of that situation. When you're, when you're in a, Conor McGregor press conference, you know there's so many eyeballs, more eyeballs that are on that press conference than anything else because it's Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor brings I, – I, Conor and Ronda are the two fighters that the UFC has that, that brings just a different audience to it. And, you know, you have to take advantage of those opportunities. And, and you know, yeah, he made Stevens look bad, but you know what? People kind of – you know, all of a sudden they're like, okay, who was that guy? They're finding out who Jeremy Stevens is, and it could be right. a year from now that we all sit back and go – that is potentially the day Jeremy Stevens talked himself into a Conor McGregor fight. Yeah, you're probably right. And that that would be one I would watch. And I, I think Conor might talk a little trash like who Conor knows who he is, you know. And I don't think that'd be somebody he'd be quick to fight either. I tell you, the fight that I'd love to see with Conor, him and Tony Ferguson. Really? Ooh, I think Tony's a little too big for him. Yeah, I just think stylistically it would be a very interesting matchup. And, uh, you know, and I mean, look, it's, you know, I think one of the things that when, when, I, when I'm breaking down Alvarez and McGregor is, you know, is Connor able to take advantage of the aggressiveness of Eddie? You know, Eddie, when he can go for the kill and he just starts flinging some punches out there, is Connor going to be able to land a left hand that's going to drop Eddie in, in that he, scenario? Honestly, I don't see this fight being close. I, 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 I don't see it going past the first. I feel like, uh, once they engage and, you know, Eddie gets dropped all the time, you know, and yeah. if you're the type of person that gets dropped all the time and you're fighting somebody who's known for finishing people by just one shot, I don't like that. And I just feel like as soon as he gets cracked, it, it's probably done. And then, uh, you know, and Connor, you know, like he, he's like, uh, He's like a surgeon. What I mean, when he when he cracks you, he doesn't rush. He like methodically finishes you. He it's like he's he's painting a masterpiece, and he 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 does it the right way. And I just feel like he he's going to finish Eddie. Connor to and me with the Ferguson thing. Honestly, I don't I don't I don't see that being a uh, a good fight. I see Ferguson taking him down and submitting him. Yeah, I mean you know, that's the one thing that that um that Nate couldn't do. Nate couldn't just go out there and get a takedown because his wrestling isn't that great. Ferguson is going to go out there, grab him, take him down. 
Yeah, I mean, the thing that uh, fascinates me about Connor is actually after the fights, you know, when, when he's no longer in promotion mode. He, he sits there, and, and if you listen to him, he, he gives you everything, and he really opens up. And to me, uh, obviously, I, I'm interested. I mean, it's going to be a great. I mean, Khabib Nurmagomedov, Michael Johnson, uh, you know, Michael had a great performance uh, back in uh, September. Uh, against Dustin Poirier, so so looking forward to that, uh, you know. But obviously, there's a lot of things going on with the UFC, and really, it's a trickle down effect in, in all of MMA from the UFC all the way down the regional scene, and you know, we're, we're seeing all the the cutbacks that are happening in the UFC. And one of the things that you do here is that a, a uh, there's going to be a cut of the roster coming up uh, in 2017, and one of the things I've always said is that's going to have a dramatic effect on the quote-unquote regional scene where you know, there's not going to be as many spots available for fighters. Now, LFA uh, is going to be doing a ton of shows. I think it's uh, 30 shows are planning to do. Uh, yeah, in, I heard two, something like that, yeah. in 2017, uh, Access TV Promotions, they, there was a press release last week because CES just re-upped with them. I think they're doing 45 events on Access TV uh, between LFA, uh, CES, and uh, Lion Fight Promotions. But, you know, I, I guess I'm more concerned for the regional fighter is that is because there's not as many spots, is it going to hurt you guys' ability to make money on the regional scene? Uh, no, I think it's actually going to going to help. I think with the guys being cut, it's going to bring back bigger names and bring up ticket sales, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think it's going to weed out a lot of guys. I mean, you got a lot of guys that are in the regional market that are just – Doing it to say they do it, you know, and you get, you get a lot of guys building themselves, you know, and, and, and I think you got a lot of guys just taking fights with, with bums. And if you get those guys back, there's, there's less bums. I feel like it's too watered down right now in the regional circuit. You know, I know there's, uh, there's some, some managers out there that kind of have that style. They, they want to build up their guys before they put them in there with a talented guy, you know, when you see a guy that, you know, ha- has made a, uh, a year or two living off beating up guys who, who don't have good records, do you kind of look down on that fighter of like, well, man, you've been patting your record. I mean, me, I look at it as easy money. I mean, those are guys I want to fight. Like, um, like right now I'm not going to drop a name, but there was a guy that we were offered to fight and, He's undefeated and he don't want to fight me. He's fought a bunch of cans mm-hmm. and the two guys that weren't cans, he won, but he didn't look great. And I'm just like, you know, I need that as somebody who's trying to make it to the big show and like get on a win streak. Like I need guys like that. I need those up and comers with padded records. So like my last fight, my last opponent, he finished every fight from amateur to pro and he was five or six and oh, whatever oh, yeah. he was. And I came in on a month notice in the middle of wrestling season. I was technically fat. If you watch the video, I wasn't, I hadn't been training. My manager called me. It was like, Hey, they got this welterweight. He's undefeated. He's this and that, but he's been fighting cans. I looked him up. I was like, this dude's terrible. And I went out there and I pretty much just dominated him. Yeah. I, I, re- I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. P- there were people talking up your opponent like, Hey, you got to, you got to be looking out for this guy, and, and you went out there and, and got the win. And, you know, I mean, I'm going to a, a local show here in Tampa uh, coming up on Friday night, and, and 
I just, you know, I don't go to local shows a lot, but sometimes I like just to go because I think it's as a, one of the things I say as, as an MMA reporter, you got to go out to this, these local shows and, and UFC shows and Bellator shows because you can kind of see what the fan base is like. You know, the, the days of the uh, MMA apparel T-shirt guy, they're gone. You know, you're right. I mean, I remember, you know, I mean, you know, four or five years ago, I mean, you know, whether it was a Fliction shirt, tap out shirt, I mean, I mean, I I sort of think about all the MMA apparel companies that were around and how all of them are gone. I mean, tap outs now in the WWE business. um, I mean, you know, Bad Boy, who was, you know, putting a lot of money in fires, I don't see their apparel anywhere. Yeah, that, I think that Reebok deal kind of killed a lot. You know, it, I know it's just the UFC, but the UFC is the biggest market, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that really hurt a lot of guys and sponsorship. And, you know, I know guys who were getting money from, you know, high boosts just to live off of. Like, they didn't even need their fight checks, you know, and that's, that, that, that's pretty much gone these days. Yeah, I was when I was in the gym earlier today. I actually saw someone wearing a UFC uh, Reebok uh, jacket. I, I have never seen anyone you know, outside of someone in, in a fight team that had one of those jackets, and I was just kind of floored. I, I almost wanted to go up to the person and go, "Did you go out and buy this? Did someone give it to you?" Because one of the things about that apparel, it's so overpriced. I'm like, who is going out there buying a quote unquote fire jersey for? I think they sell them for seventy five bucks. Wow. I mean, I mean, it was uh, what was it? Corey Anderson uh, about a year ago. He's like, yeah, my family members can't even afford that. You know, you you. I mean, if you, you would have priced it twenty thirty dollars, you could sell this a lot more. That's funny. I know Corey Anderson really well. Um, what what kills me is like I like variety, like. You know, like I used to, it used to be a thing for me, like, oh, I want to wear blue this fight, the next fight I want red and black, or this fight I want white and blue. And I mean, it's pretty much like, it's, it's like uniforms. They have uniforms, you know, and yeah. I, I don't know, it's just not. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think part of it, it's just the, you don't see as much advertising dollars in, in MMA as there once were. And you do kind of wonder is, is, you know the the boom period that this sport had from you know 2000 you know seven to 2010 kind of is that boom period uh, going to come back around you know and, and you feel you know obviously for the fighters that that have lost some money there um, you know in Reebok I mean look you can't blame them for the deal they cut I mean you know they they're doing what's best for them and what's best for their business I think where the UFC dropped the ball is they should have allowed the fighters to have, say, hey, all right, you're going to have this amount of, you know, one sponsor, this is the size of the sponsor, it's going to go this on your shorts. And I think that in terms of fighter morale, if you would have given them one sponsor, I think that it would be talking a totally different story when it comes to UFC fighters and sponsorships. You probably would. I, I think there are a bunch of guys that are afraid to kind of speak out about that. I mean, but you know what? A couple of years ago, fighters were so scared to speak their mind. But now it, it's it seems that every week there's uh, you know I mean I think most notably for Bricio Verdun recently. I mean I had Cajun Johnson on this podcast two weeks ago, who is an a, a current UFC fighter. Now he is uh, he is dealing with injuries, and he has been very 
pro a union in which there's not a ton of, of fighters who have publicly come out and said they're pro union. Um, you know, obviously the, the PFA is putting the union cards out there and, you know, you, you hear that, you know, fighters have signed those union cards and, you know, while I think a, a union will be very beneficial to a, a UFC fighter and, and to a point of Bellator fighter, but, you know, for the fighter who's not in the UFC or Bellator, I don't see what a union – what is the advantage for a guy who is fighting, let's say, an LFA or, or a victory or Titan or CES or, or just name whatever show around the country there is. I don't see what advantage there are for those fighters to be paying a union dues. Well, I, I would say how much are the union dues, and I would say the advantages are – protection you know like like how you say you know like checks bouncing um reimbursement for fight camps and stuff like that you know like there's so many things i think about how much money i've lost just preparing for fights um i can honestly say it's probably cost me about three grand over the last eight months to prepare for three fights that didn't happen. You know, I mean, I'm not rich, but that, that ain't nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. I know. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think any, I mean, no, one, no one wants to be, you know, shelling out money and, there, and there's no return on that. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it, it, it's unfortunate, you know, and this is, you know, especially because there's so many awful stories you hear on the regional scene. Well, you know, there may be, five great stories, you know, there's these five bad stories that you hear. And I mean, you have been, you know, through various organizations, you, you've seen the ups and you've seen the downs, uh, just in the industry as a fighter. And, you know, and, and we got a question, uh, from at mirrors two, two, two asking, since you were a veteran, uh, you are a veteran of MMA. Love hearing some stories from smaller shows. And he says, got any good or crazy ones? I, I know fans always love to hear stories. I'm sure there's probably a, a, a million crazy stories out there that either you've been in personally or seen. Uh, crazy, like on a small. You say on a small regional show. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I'll tell you, one of the things that, that baffles me is when I interview amateur fighters, and they tell me some of the stories where, I mean, just where, you know, guy shows up to the weigh-ins, and then all of a sudden fight day gets there, and, and no one's there. I mean, we've all heard about the Explode Fight Series, where it seems like they're just pulling people out of the <laughs> out of the stands to yeah. come take a fight. I, I mean. I've, I've, seen, I've seen that. I, I would say the one that stands out to me the most was, my first amateur fight in the city of St. Louis. It was my second amateur fight, period, but my first one in town. So I had a lot of people at home uh, seeing me fight. Um, it was hard for me to get fights as an amateur because I was just big-time collegiate wrestler. So everybody in the St. Louis area knew who I was. Nobody was trying to fight me. At the time, I was trained at the best MMA school in St. Louis. I was training with Tyron Whitley consistently, and he was uh, making his way up through Strike Force. So it was just like... With everybody I was connected with, nobody wanted to fight EJ Brooks. So most of the fights I took, I had to, I had to fight at 70. So I was walking around 175 and I wouldn't even have to cut weight to make these fights. So anyway, uh, they give me an opponent. He's a ex Navy wrestler. His nickname was the Terminator. And, uh, I mean, he was huge. The dude was like six foot, whatever, shredded. He, it kind of looked like uh, Apollo Creed versus the Russian. And, uh, and Rocky. Uh -huh. And we get to weigh-ins. We're supposed to fight at 70. 
The dude's 184. Okay? So I'm standing on a scale of 171, like, what the fuck? And my coach goes, you want to take the fight? And the, the the promoter's looking at me like, I'm sorry, but he's also giving me that look like, you know you're still going to beat this dude, and I know you sold all these tickets. I sold over like 300 <laughs> tickets. So I'm looking at him like, you motherfucker. Excuse my language, but I'm like, all right. So my opponent, he's laughing. Like, he has he doesn't care. So I'm like, all right. So I take the fight. The next day, his girlfriend, he had a hot girlfriend, uh, is dressed up in a skimpy outfit. She comes over to my side of uh, the warm-up era, area, and she's stretching and, like, trying to dis- <laughs> d- distract me. My my whole team is like, what's she doing? You know? And, like, I look over, my opponent's laughing. So, like, all right. So, you know, we go in there, and I guess I really didn't realize how big this guy was because he wasn't just 184. I think he was 190-something, and he only cut to 184. Cause when he got in the ring, he was just ridiculously huge. So I feel for my life and I destroyed him. I mean, I'm, I'm all this guy's face. And after the fight, he passes out, getting out of the cage. And I'm like, you couldn't have done that in the cage and gave me a TKO. <laughs> so anyway, he gets on the, the stretcher and they, they take him out and I'm feeling bad. And the promoter comes up to me. He was like, you just saved that guy's life. And I'm like, what? He was like, well, he told me after he kicked your ass, he was going to propose to his girlfriend in a cage. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so to me, that was like the the, the funniest uh, thing that ever happened to me as far as like the small circuit goes. Do not make him wait and plan to propose to his horrible girlfriend in a cage after he supposedly was going to kick my ass. Oh man, it's you. You hear so many of these, you know, just crazy stories that that happen. I always say I think some of the funnest, funnest fight cards to watch are regional shows because yeah, you, you, yeah. you literally, I mean, a UFC Bellator show, you can pretty much figure out you know what's going to happen. Regional yeah. scene, man, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, you don't know who this guy is, and uh, man, where he trains at. He's been at the gym for a week. He just take a fight. Like you, I mean, we've had guys walking out of gym like, yeah, I just took a fight. I want to train. And my coach is like, no, like you're not going to train. You're not going to wear our banner. Like it's not going down, bro. <laughs> and they still fight that week with uh, some starter shorts from Walmart. I, I, you know, in terms of, of the missing weight, Sam Kaplan has the, uh, the uh, uh, term. He goes, sometimes guys just are punting or they, they literally, they just quit. I mean, you know, we, we have seen some, some guys, uh, you look at Charles Oliveira last week. I mean, how do you step on the scale 10 pounds over? I mean, I, I don't know how you step on the scale when you know you're nowhere close to, to making weight. And then, you know, and and his his management comes out and says, well, he took this fight on three weeks' notice. And I'm sitting there going, no one wants to hear that excuse. I mean, yeah. if you sit there, and, and the way I always look at it is if you sign a contract and you say you can make that contracted weight, and you and you're missing weight by a whole weight class. I mean, there, there's no way the UFC can have him fight at 145 again. No, he yeah he's got to go up. Yeah, and I mean I know how hard it is to cut weight. Like I said, I missed weight three times, but nothing of that magnitude. Like I think the most has ever been like three pounds, and that's not good either. But um, when you when you miss by ten, you're not trying. You know, like it it's it's one of those things where you just like. It's, it's almost disrespectful. It is disrespectful to your opponent because you're just like, I don't care. Like, yeah. he's either going to fight me or he's not. And I'm going to get paid and 
If he doesn't, he doesn't. I, I, you know, it was to me, it was amazing the fact that Ricardo Lamas only got thirty percent. Um, I remember when the, the World Series of Fighting show did a, a card here in Tampa. It was supposed to be headline, ended up being headlined by Justin Gaethje and Melvin Gillard, but it ended up being a non-title fight because Melvin missed weight. And I remember, um, you know, they come down, and I'm sitting outside this room they go into, and Ray Sefo comes out to me, and he goes, all right, fight is still on. I'm like, okay, so we're talking about a catchweight. I go, yeah, I go, all right, what's – What's uh, going to be the fine for Melvin? He goes, he's giving up 50% of his purse. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just said 50%. He goes, yes. He goes, Gaethje's camp. Um, it was Gaethje and, uh, and his coach, uh, um, Trevor Whitman. They, their offer was 50% of his show purse, and they would take the fight. Melvin immediately accepted. I was like, man, good for Justin Gaethje to get 50% of, of Melvin's purse because you know Melvin had a good show purse. Yeah, he did. And you know Melvin. Melvin took it because he just wanted to get paid. He's like, "Damn, wow, that's crazy." And Gaethje makes a ton of money in the World Series of Fighting. Ton of money. God bless him. He makes his last disclosed um, show purse was a hundred thousand dollars. What? Yeah, hundred grand. There's some guys in the World Series of Fighting that are making some money. Um, you know, and we'll see. I mean, they've got that big show coming up in uh, New York City. I mean, they, sure. they've got they've got some issues to deal with. <laughs> you know, some uh, very well documented issues with some lawsuits <clears throat> they got in Nevada. Um, you know, look, and, and I, I want to see all these promotions succeed, but man, there is a lot of warning signs out there, and it's you hate to see that because then that's potentially another place where fighters may not be able to make a living because I mean, you know, you look at guys that, you know, maybe have a, a style like a John fish that the UFC doesn't like if the world series of fighting were, were to cease operations. I, I don't know where John fish goes. I've always said that, uh, well, he'll probably end up being a Bellator, but I, I've always said we need about three or four major organizations, three or four major organizations. It gives, it, it keeps, a monopoly from being in existence and it gives guys a place to go. Cause we got so many fighters, you know, it's a growing sport and people need places to go. You know, uh, not everybody can be in UFC, not everybody can be in Bellator, but guys still need to be able to make a living out of this sport and be able to uh, continue their career. I mean, you look at, I mean, obviously number one, number two here in the United States is clear UFC and Bellator, obviously UFC, the analogy I use is UFC is the top of the mountain and Bellator is like literally at the bottom of the mountain. I mean, there's that, that much of a, of a difference between the two. Um, you know, then obviously there, there's, I, I think by default, you throw the World Series of Fighting at number four, you would have to put, uh, which will now be known as LFA, which is the merger between Legacy and RFA. But after that, I don't even know who I would put number five. Right. I mean, there's, I mean, there's you so want many to say promotions. Titan, but, you know, like you want to say Titan, but I, I feel like Victory's all is like kind of like doing really well, and then you still got King of the Cage, and uh, let me see, is there anybody else I'm, I'm missing as far as MMA goes? Uh, I mean, I would. I mean, in terms of the Northeast, you you look at CES. Um, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of ones that just immediately pop off my mind. I mean, let me ask you this. How much does, when you're looking at where to take a fight, how much of the, the broadcast aspect of it, if they, all of a sudden you know the fight's being streamed, or, or is it at the end of the day of, I'm just going to fight whoever's going to pay me the most money? Uh, Both. Me, personally, I just want to fucking fight. You know, uh, I'm not saying you can pay me pennies, but, you know, like, 
put somebody in there that's going to sign the contract and then not back out when they say, oh, shit, I actually got to get in there and fight E.J. Brooks. You know, because uh, I wanted to be streamed, hell yeah, because it helps with sponsorship. You know, like, if I know the fight's going to be streamed, money isn't important because I know I can get this many local sponsors, you know, because here in St. Louis, if I'm fighting somewhere, you know, I get a lot of people from the area tuning in to, to watch that fight. Yeah. You know, so I I get sponsors that don't don't care that I'm not fighting at home. Um, if 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 it's not being streamed, of course money is important. But right now it's just like the the least thing I'm worried about is money. You know, like I need fights. I know that if I can get a couple more wins, I'm probably likely to get signed to a good deal with Bellator UFC again. You know, so that's where I'm at. You know, and the thing is, I think I'm two fights away from that, but I can't get fights. You know, I haven't fought since March and the fights that I've gotten, you know, they've either been canceled or guys have gotten hurt or for whatever reason. I've talked about this in the past. If I was managing a fighter and the fighter says to me, look, my goal is to get to the UFC with today, the landscape of MMA right now, I'm doing what I can to get that fighter to LFA. I mean, I think that is a clear pipeline at this point. That, that, that is my next move. Like uh, me and my manager, we're pretty much in talks with them right now. Uh, that's where I want to be. They're, re- they're and they're in the Midwest where I'm at. So it's like they're the big regional market here. So it was either I told them I was like, hey, I either want victory or LFA, whichever one, make it happen. You know, and that's pretty much where we're going. Um, and hopefully he gets the deal done. So if he's listening to this, he better fucking make it happen. Well, I mean that that's the thing for you in the Midwest. I mean there was a, a time. Over the last, you know, 12 to 18 months that Titan was doing shows in Kansas City. And my understanding is that pretty much all of those Kansas City based fighters are no longer under contract with Titan, that, that Titan released them from their contracts. You know, so it kind of opened up a lot. And, and Victory is definitely one of those organizations that people are talking about. You know, I don't know how much of the UFC Fight Pass deal has to, to deal with this notoriety they've gotten, but I, I hear a lot more fighters mentioning, like, hey, I, I want to go fight for Ryan Stoddard in victory. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, even before I signed with Bellator, so, like, early on in my professional career, victory is one of those fight cards I, I wanted to fight on. I, I thought the show was, like, awesome. One of my teammates fought there. Uh, the guy named Adam Merritt and I just, I saw the venue. I was like, this is, this is awesome. I thought it was, I thought it was on par with what I seen in Bellator. So they're doing really good things over there in victory and I wouldn't mind fighting with victory. So, I mean, like I said, I would like to be in LFA, uh, but I would also like to be in victory. So whichever one makes something happen, I'm okay. I've heard there's people in victory that listen to this podcast. So uh, the, the guys at victory, uh, EJ's letting you know, give him a call and uh, he's ready to take a fight there. But for you, where you're, you know, uh, from the time you got in the sport to where you're, you're at now, what do you, what's your view of the sport? I mean, do you think it's, um, is it, is it one of those things where it kind of went into a little bit of down period and you think it's, it's getting back up there again? Uh, here's, here's my thing. I was kind of discouraged for a little bit because, um, you know, I wasn't getting like the fights that I wanted and I was watching all these guys kind of like rise up and then USADA came around and I'm just like, man, you know, if I can get on a win streak and get somewhere, I can make some damage. You know, I'm like, uh, just totally going off topic. I think people really might want to watch a guy named Kobe Covington. He's, he's one of my best friends. I trained with him down in Florida. And I know he's clean. 
And I think he's one of those guys who's about to really benefit from USADA cleaning up his weight class. You know, um, but no, I'm really excited about fight just because, you know, this, this, this catching people and like kicking these guys out is making room for the clean people, the people who are doing things right. Yeah, Colby Covington's got the the fight coming up uh, on that Fox show in uh, in Sacramento in December. The one that's uh, that's headlined by uh, yeah. Paige Van Zant and um, and Michelle Waters. On top of my head, I, I forget who he's fighting on that card. I'm trying to pull it up off uh, off the top of my head. Uh, who he's fighting on that card? Um, uh, Brian Barberina is who he's taking on. A nice little uh, matchup there. But yeah, Colby Covington definitely is a guy. Um, you know, being here in Florida, I probably hear a lot about some of the, the up and coming talent there uh, at American Top Team. I, I thought it was interesting that uh, American Top Team has taken in Greg Hardy, and uh, obviously there, there's a lot of people in the industry that have kind of voiced their their opinions about that. And uh, I'm interested to kind of hear more about what's going on in the gym with with what Greg is like. Obviously, he's got the issues there. Uh, but you know, one of the things that you have been you have done is, is you you have that ability to to open up doors for people. And I know we got I got a tweet uh, from uh, one of the cutmen at Bellator, Matt, saying uh, saying he would not be the head cutman at Bellator if it was not for EJ. He goes, not an interesting story, but I stay appreciative. Well, I mean, it, I guess it is kind of it's interesting to me. You know, I I, I take pride that I was able to help a friend. You know, I never wanted to take credit. Uh, but the fact that he acknowledged that it means something a lot, it means a lot to me. Um, I was with Bellator and, uh, Matt, Matt is from St. Louis. He trained at the gym that I trained at. I mean, he's just a jujitsu guy, but, uh, you know, we're all a family. And when I signed with Bellator, it was a big deal. So a bunch of people came down to my first fight with Bellator, which was in Oklahoma. And Matt was a cut man here in St. Louis. Matt has his med degree. Uh, I want to say he was a surgeon. I think him and his wife. Um, but um, he came down, and uh, Dean Lasseter was short, like a cut man, I think. Like stuff was just going crazy. And I told Dean, I was like, "Hey, you know, my guy that's coming down is a cut man. Do you mind if he works my corner and and helps you guys out?" And he was like, "Is he good?" I was like, "He's probably one of the top, if not the top guy in St. Louis." So he talked to Matt. He's like, "Hey, I'll give you." a chance tonight, see what you can do. And Matt kicked ass. And then he told uh, Matt that he could work the next show that I was on in Kansas City. And then after that, they immediately hired him. And then he just moved on up uh, after that. Yeah, and, and anytime you watch the Bellator broadcast, you, you see Matt there. Uh, you know, Sam Kaplan, uh, he, he mentioned to me that I had to bring up Michael Chandler. And uh, his tweet was, I, I want to hear what, what went down between Chandler and EJ on the Missouri wrestling team. Not not necessarily what, but who. And who was him. Like, he always went down, like, and hard. Um, bottom line is, like... Uh, I mean, I have his number, you know, uh, every time we wrestled, I beat him. You know, I'm not saying I always kicked his ass, but I always got my hand raised. And, you know, he's a spoiled little biatch, you know, and, um, like, uh, in high school, we wrestled in the Illinois versus Missouri all-star match. He's from Missouri. I'm from Illinois and I beat him. Then I transferred to University of Missouri. He's in his spot. I'm, I'm one in that spot. So I beat him, but pretty much the coach was, 
Chandler was his favorite, you know, and he told me, you know, Chandler can't beat you, but he's the guy I'm going with. And even though I beat Chandler every time we wrestled, he got to be the guy. And it was kind of shitty. And then I go to Bellator thinking we're going to fight and the fight never happened. I was never put in a position to where the fight could happen. You know, I really feel like he was uh, protected by Bjorn, you know, but. I always had I had, a, I had a, a pretty decent relationship with Bjorn. I'll, I'll never forget the the last uh, one of the last conversations I had with him was actually at that pay per view event where the event was over, press conference ends, we finish up our, our post uh, our post fight interview, and he goes to me he says he goes What did you think about the show? I go uh, Bjorn. I go Do you want my honest opinion? He goes Yes. I go The pacing sucked, and he's like Well, f you. <laughs> I was like, I go, look, you asked for the honest truth. I gave you the honest truth. I, I have been trying to find Bjorn. Uh, doesn't return text messages. <laughs> you know, he, I, I hear he's in California. That's that's where I'm told he's at now. And uh, he, he obviously got his money from Viacom. And I don't think you're ever going to hear from Bjorn Rebney again. I really don't. I don't think anybody is. I mean, he he was, as uh, uh, King Mo would say, a dick rider. <laughs> I, I'll never forget when that came on. We were uh, at the post-fight press conference sitting next to uh, Luke Thomas for MMA fighting, and, and we both looked at each other and go, so how do we grammatically say in an article Dick Rider? I'm like, I have no idea. I go, I don't think we could pull up the AP grammar book and find the way to uh, properly uh, put in Dick. I go, I guess we just have to put it in the article. I was losing my mind when he said that. Oh, Dick Riding Ass. I was just like, oh man, that's that's what I love about Mo. Mo has no filter for uh, his ghettoness. He just lets it out, and I'd be like, wow. He's got a fight uh, fighting at uh, I believe it's a catchweight at two fifteen against uh, Satoshi uh, Ishii uh, coming up in, in that yeah. Ireland card. I mean, I you know if he wins that fight, I, I gotta imagine they go with a rematch with, with Phil Davis. I mean, I was, you know, we mentioned about John Jones earlier, and you look at the UFC light heavyweight division. If Rumble does not win and Cormier retains the title, go tell me who's the next title challenger at 205 in the UFC because Gustafsson's out for you know unknown timetable with a back injury. It could be Ryan Bader, but he's a free agent after his next fight. I, I go, it's so weak, and that's why I think that one of these 185ers that does not get a title matchup could be moving up to 205. Yeah, I like to see Weidman up there. You know, I think he can do pretty well. Yeah, people mentioned uh, him. I mean, I, you know, I, I know it's cross promotion, but I was really looking forward to Phil Davis versus John Jones. I, yeah. mean, I felt like but, stylistically that would have been a better fight than people thought. But Phil just could never. He would never get that one win that would put him in that position. You, he would always right. get to one fight away. And then he would lose. I, I I hope at some point we see Rumble John Jones. Um, you know, I, I think Cormier is likely going to win uh, against Rumble in the rematch. But if Rumble catches you one of those hands, he can knock out anybody. I thought Rumble should have won the first fight. I was like, what? When he started wrestling Cormier, I was like, what are you doing? You know, like Rumble's that guy that nobody wants to throw hands with. And you could just see the look. When he hit Cormier, like, it, Cormier was like, oh, shit. Like, you know, and then he started wrestling. Like, of course. Like, I've had people do I've been in fights where, like, I'm like, man, I'm kind of in trouble. And then dude, like, shoots on me. I'm like, are you serious? I mean, thank you. <laughs> you know, like, 
thank you for taking us to a wrestling match, you know, because <laughs> how was it like in the way this is going right now? Like, man. But I think if he keeps it standing and just he throws those hands, man, I, I, I don't, I don't see Cormier beating him this time. I mean, that, I mean, if you're the UFC, that's probably what you're hoping for is the fact of Rumble can win and then you just immediately book the trilogy matchup. Then time-wise, that could lead up to when John Jones return, is able to return in July of next year. Wow, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah. I, I think if you, I mean, if you're if you're the UFC, that that's got to be the you know the ideal scenario. Uh, you know, coming up there, two hundred six pay per view is not. Re- I mean, I mean, if you're putting over the sixty bucks to watch that pay per view, you basically just say I'm paying sixty bucks to watch Cormier and, and Rumble. Yeah. Which I mean, honestly, I- I'll pay sixty bucks to watch Rumble fight. Yeah, Rumble's worth it. He's he's like the Mike Tyson in that weight class. I mean, it's crazy the fact that he made one seventy at one point. Dude, I know, I know. It's still like it's one of those. I mean, and I mean, you've we've both been around, you know, shows week of the fight, and you see some guys walk around. And you're like, how does that guy make this weight? I mean, there's just Douglas Lima. I, yeah. I, I oh trained. God, perfect oh, example. Dude. I was like, man, like I, I mean, I like him. You know, we're both ATT guys, but man, every time he made weight, I'm like, I'm like, and you're the main reason why I'm not a welterweight. Sometimes I think I can fight welterweight, and I'll train with Tyron. Or I'll train with Douglas Lima. When I see him in Florida or something, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not a welterweight. I can't do this. I, you know, I, I need rem- one real bad. Yeah, I remember when um, when they did that, that event uh, with Tito and Shomenko, where um, Shomenko uh, was, you know, fighting him at uh, 205. And, you know, Lima's walking around because he was doing some promoting. I go, yeah, that's what a 185-er looks. I go, if if you said you put Shomenko and Lima next to each other and said, who's a 185-er, who's a 170-er, you would go, oh, Shomenko's a 170-er. I mean, Lima's huge. And, yeah. I mean, and I mean, I know he is. he's changed up his diet now. He walks around around 200 pounds um, and then cuts down to 170 pounds. And, of course, he's got that fight coming up uh, this weekend. Uh, in Israel against Andre Koreshkov, which uh, I think is going to go a lot different this time. Douglas is healthy. I hope. He I he hope. was he was not healthy the first time around. Probably shouldn't. I mean, you know, and that's a tough situation. Is you know you're you're not being paid to sit on the sidelines, and he had been out you know for I, I think almost a year at that point. Um, you know, so you got to get a paycheck. I mean, that, that's got to. Is that one of the hardest things you have to have? Of I've got this injury, I probably shouldn't be fighting, but I need the check. Yeah, I did that. <clears throat> I kind of did that in my last loss when I fought Jason Novelli. I uh, I didn't have an injury, but I had a staph infection. Like, literally fought that fight with a staph infection. A lot of people don't know that. I didn't really want it to be public knowledge because I don't like making excuses. Yeah. Um, did a radio interview with uh, with Adam Hunter and uh, and Bubba Jenkins, you know, on, on his uh, yeah, comedy yeah. roast thing. And then that night, I've noticed I got a bump on my, my forearm. So I just get off the radio talking shit to my opponent. And then all of a sudden I got this knot on my forearm and I was like, I just had a staph infection about a month and a half ago and it started out like this. So I go to the hospital that night and they're like, yeah, you got a staph infection. So I tell my manager and he's like, you know, let's call the organization. So we tell Titan like, Hey, I got a staph infection. They're like, Hey, let us see you. So I come out there. And sure enough, I had it cut open. So anyway, long story short, because I can ramble on about this. I, um, I'm i on antibiotics. I We have to fight at a catch weight. And 
I pretty much, I'm not going to say I underestimated my opponent, but I over, how do I say it? Overestimated what, what yeah. I could do mm-hmm. on antibiotics and dealing with the staph infection. And I thought I could go out there and beat him anyway. I felt like I was so much better than Jason Novelli that even sick and on medicine, I could go out there and beat him. And I couldn't. I couldn't perform. Actually, I was less impressed with him after that fight just because I could barely walk. I mean, if you watch this fight, it's on MMA Core. You just think I'm out of shape. You, I mean, it really doesn't even look like I'm that bad, but I could barely stand up. And that was just all heart and will. And I was like, any really good fighter should finish me in this, this situation. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to what you said about earlier when you were talking about Woodley, is sometimes you're fighting yourself as opposed to, yeah. to fighting your opponent. I mean, it's, you know, I was talking to a fighter the other day, and he said, he goes, I think this game's 80% mental. As opposed to, you know, saying it's only 20% physical. I mean, obviously, because if your head's not in the right place when you step into that cage or ring, you're likely yeah. not going to win. Yeah, you're right. You know, yeah. so, um, you know, I mentioned, uh, got one question uh, from Chris Connie. He was, he was asking about the UFC's mega card in New York. WSLF put it on a big show in New York. What do you think Bellator comes with New York debut and win? Maybe Fedor, heavyweight tournament, probably more like WSL car with some depth on it rather than one massive main event. Um, it, it sounds like sometime late first quarter uh, of 2017, um, you know, the, all the rumblings you're hearing is Fedor uh, against Matt Mitrione. Um, you know, the heavyweight tournament, I hope it's not a one-night tournament. I think if you're Bellator, you should do it over 9 to 12 months, really gain up steam for your promotion you know, when you go back and you think of that one night tournament they did, um, where you know King Mo had to withdraw after the semifinal round because uh, he wasn't uh, cleared by the commission for the final round. I just think there's so many issues with, you know, I know the old school MMA fans love that prize style tournament, but in today's age, I just don't think it's it's what's the best for a promotion. I think guys are too good, and you're getting beat up. If like back in the day, it was like you pretty much knew who was going to win. One guy will go out there and dominate. Now you got guys that are so good that every fight's a war. So, like, moving on, like, it's almost impossible. You might win a fight, but you might, like, I mean, look at the Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor fight. Conor wins that fight, and then you see him later on, he's on crutches. Yeah. You know, like, how are you expecting guys to go out there and fight, you know, against elite competition and then fight again that night? I think Steve, that's hard to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, look, I think, you know, look, Viacom is is based in New York. I think they'll put together a massive show. Um, you know, Fedor, I've been publicly, I don't necessarily want to see him fight again. Um, you know, I, I think that, and a lot of it's just because how bad he got beat up by Fabio Maldonado in that fight. If that fight's not in Russia, it gets stopped. Yeah. I mean, and... and you know, and, and I just I go back to one of the things that a football player told me, and, and you don't always necessarily hear see this happen in MMA. Where the player told me, he said he goes, "My body's ultimately going to tell me when I when it's time for me to walk away." And I think more times than not in MMA, it, it's someone who has to tell the fighter, "You need to, you know, it's time to do something else." But I understand that you want to go out on your own terms. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel like somebody should have told me, like, hey, don't fight this fight with the Novelli fight. Because me, I'm the type of person, I don't like pulling out. You know, one, because I hate when people do it to me. 
And I feel like there's been a couple situations where I shouldn't have took certain fights, but you know, I'm that guy that I don't turn down fights. I mean, if you're in this, this organ, not this organization, but this sport, why are you taking fights? Uh, one, if you don't think you can win. And two, if you don't think you're the best in the world, if you're not fighting to be the best in the world, like, why are you in this sport? So there should never be a, a fight that you, you don't take unless it's just like a bad situation, you know, where you're going into a guy's hometown and you know you're in a position where you're definitely going to get screwed. Yeah, I mean, I remember there was a UFC fighter. It wasn't that long ago, within the last month or two. It was a, a, a fighter got injured. UFC announces like 9 a.m. of the morning, okay, this is a new fight. By 5 o'clock, they had already come out and said that fighter's pulled out of the fight. I'm sitting there going, how did you pull out of the fight eight hours after it being announced that you were in the fight? I mean, I understand that, you know, all of a sudden maybe you go into a training session and you get hurt. But, you know, it, it. I can only imagine for the fighter who sat there and said, okay, you lost this opponent, now it's on to this guy, and then eight hours later you said, hey, by the way, he just pulled out. It's ridiculous. I've, I've had it happen. I've had it happen. I've had my manager call me and say, oh, we got you a guy. And then that evening, oh, that guy pulled out. Like I go, I'm, I'm, I'm at, I'm at the gym training and I get this text when I'm done. I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, here we go, you know? And it's, they accept the fight. Then they YouTube you a little bit. They make a few calls and then they're like, nah, we don't want this fight. But you would think they would at least, you know, do the research before they say whether they're going to take the fight or not. Exactly. Yeah, you you would think that they do that and they don't. Or sometimes, like I said, I think sometimes they they think, oh yeah, we can do this, and then it sets in. Like they they really think about it and they're just like, nah. Yeah. Um, I did get a question in relation to Bellator. This comes from a uh, Dirty Bird two one two. The state of the Bellator. Uh, women's flyweight and featherweight division, what they do with potential titles. I- I've talked about this before. I, I think in terms of, of what Bellator is doing with women's MMA, I-, I I question whether they're developing a division or they're just doing one-off fights. I, I think at 145, they're doing one-off fights. It does look like they're trying to develop a division at, at 125 pounds, but you know, they're-, they're obviously they're competing with Invicta, which you know, Kansas City-based promotion. Um, yeah. You know, and you know. I think it comes down to if you're the fighter, do you want to fight in Bellator or do you want to fight in Victa? And, you know, maybe and if you're kind of in between 135 and 115, I would lean towards go fighting in Invicta. I, I think they should just, you know, like they don't need a division. You know, I feel like they – I think Bellator should focus on building their brand before they mm-hmm. add – a female weight class and do the, you know, if they got a regional, uh, 125 or 35 pound girl there that's going to sell tickets, put her on the card, you know, like just have that opportunity for women to fight on their promotion. But Invicta, it's, it's, it's for women. And I think that's their thing, you know? Yeah. And there's, I mean, look at Cyborg. I mean, the, you know, obviously there, there's a lot of people that want to watch her fight. Um, you know, she she drew over a million viewers on FS1 when she fought down there in Brazil. But uh, you know, it's there, there's not exactly a lot of women who are signing up to fight Cyborg. No, even no. though we, you know, you know, as a fight fan, we'd all love to see Cyborg Ronda. That fight's never going to happen. Never going to happen. I mean, there's there's just you know there's these fights that you would love to see, but that's one of those fights. That, and I, I've said this um, publicly. I think UFC 207 will be Ronda Rousey's last fight. I said it too. 
Because I, I think Amanda's going to beat her. Dude, I've I've been talking about Amanda Nunez for two years now. I said it right. Be, I said before she fought a man, before she fought Sarah McMahon, before she uh, way before she fought Misha Tate. I watched this girl train in the gym, and I was like, I seen this girl make grown men cry, and I was like, this girl's gonna be next champ. And before you know, Ronda even lost the belt. I said, I said that Amanda Nunez was going to be the one who took it from her, and I think she's gonna retire Ronda. I don't, man, I got nothing against Ronda. But I fear for her safety in this fight because I think she's going to get worse she, than she did against Holly. Yeah, I, I mean, think Amanda Nunez hits harder than Holly. Holly's got good, pure striking. If if she had a kickboxing fight with Amanda Nunez, she might edge her out, maybe. But like I said, I've seen this girl strike. She hits like a grown man. You know, and I just really think she's going to put a whooping on Ronda, and it, it's going to be embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, this is my concern with Ronda is it doesn't sound like she's made any changes in, in terms of her coaching staff. Um, you know, and look, I'm not in the gym with Edmund, but we we can hear his corner audio. He's not a good cornerman. I mean, it, it's some of the worst advice you ever hear uh, in terms of, of a cornerman, and it kind of it makes you wonder why she's not made those changes. And she returned to training in August. It's four months the proper time to get ready for uh, you know, your first fight in 13 months, and now you're fighting Amanda Nunez? No. I I, I think she needs more time. But then again, it's just like I really don't think it's going to matter. She could take a year to get ready for Amanda Nunez, and I just I don't think she's got it. I, I mean, you know what? Taking, taking Ronda out the equation, I think Amanda Nunez is the most talented female fighter I've ever seen. And I really believe she'd probably lay waste to Cyborg. That's just me personally from what I've seen in the gym when she competes. And she's another one. If she steps in the cage and believes that she's going to dominate, she's going to dominate. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why I said, like, when, when they talk about Ronda, I'm like, it's not even just talking about Ronda or whether or not she can beat her. I don't see anybody beating this girl. Like, if Amanda Nunez loses, she beat herself. That's That's, that's just my honest opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing that's interesting about Amanda is now with uh, Yoani and Jacek at, at American Top Team in, in Coconut Creek, how much that's going to raise both of their games. And, you know, and I know Yoana did an interview this week where she's, you know, she she's friendly with Ronda, but you know now she's training with Amanda, so she's kind of in the middle there. But um, you know, it it it's interesting that Yoana came to that point of her career where she realized she needed to move out of Poland to do her training. Which I mean, how many fires have we seen this, especially internationally, that have have said, "I just I've got to come to the United States and train." Yeah, you got to switch things up if you're gonna keep the title, you know. And that's good that she recognized that. And of course, uh, Carolina, her opponent uh, on Saturday, she uh, she did all of her training in Poland. That should be uh, an excellent fight between those. But uh, you mentioned, you know, right now, no, no fights uh, lined up for you. You know, you're hoping that something's gonna get lined up. I. I, I I can hear it. I mean, obviously you're you're frustrated. You know, you're only going to get you know likely one fight uh, in 2016. I mean, how how do you not let that get you down? Ugh, well, I have a really good personal life. I'll leave that at that. <laughs> um, that keeps me busy. <laughs> and uh, I saw you were at a wedding this past weekend. Was that is that right? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. Um, that was. 
It was a good weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and in culture wrestling, you know, I coach wrestling and like I was saying earlier, you know, I, wrestling means more to me than fighting and that's going pretty well. So, you know, wrestling season just started. And even though I'm not fighting, I don't have a fight coming up. I'm really looking forward to, you know, lead my troops in the battle. And that, that's my life. I've always wanted to be an educator and a, and a wrestling coach. And that's, that's the number one thing in my life right now. So that's, I know rest, I'm no fight ain't going the way I want to, but I'm okay. And of but, course, uh, uh, obviously it's a, it's a great weekend, a great end of the year just in MMA. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to that Chandler Henderson fight next weekend. Interesting to kind of see how how uh, that fight goes down. I mean, I think that's a fight that uh, some people have been wanting to see. Uh, Michael Page, Fernando Gonzalez. Uh, you know, who who knows what Michael Page can do next? Uh, yeah. What what he has done there. Uh, anything else you want to bring up uh, before we get out of here, EJ? Uh, no, not on top of my head, man. Uh, I don't know. I know I want to see Michael Page fight a. Uh, a good wrestler at his weight, and I also want to... Oh, come on. You know they're going to keep him away from a wrestler as long as they I can. I know. I know. I know. Which, and, look, uh, I can't blame Bellator. I can't, I can't blame, blame them. That Pokemon thing was freaking hilarious when he threw that ball at... Oh, boy. Oh, and I... I'm, man, that sucked about his head. Uh, about uh, the dude getting his skull cracked. That yeah. Was, but the crazy but, thing I, is, is, you know, he had the surgery, and, and he wants to continue fighting. I would never. No freaking way. I mean, I, and it's, I guess the, the human side of all of us goes, should he really be allowed to fight? No, I wouldn't. Your skull was cracked, bro. That's just. And, and no. here's the thing. How does that not get into your head as a fighter? If you got to fight Michael Page, like that dude just fractured someone's skull. Yeah. Like, how, oh, does, yeah. Like, how does that not get in your head? <sighs> Wow, there's just nothing. Yeah, I heard a rumor that uh, Hennis is not even healthy going into that fight with uh, with Chandler. Uh, yeah, there's always rumors you hear, uh, you know, in the industry uh, about what's going on there. And uh, I, I tell you what, I I was I was pretty floored by what Koreshkov did to Henderson earlier this year. I mean, I, I thought Koreshkov would likely win that fight, but I, I mean, the, just the way he dominated him was, yeah. was just something. And um, I mean, outside of Phil Davis, a lot of these guys that have come from the UFC, the Bellator, haven't done so hot. Yeah, you're right about that. But but then again, I think that's you could also say the same about a couple guys that come from Bellator to the UFC. But but he's not a he's not. I want to say he's not a welterweight, but dang, he really didn't look good against Patricky before he, you know. Oh, yeah, Patricio was winning that fight. Yeah, I mean, and that's yeah. and that's the one thing about the Pitbull brothers and those guys—they don't care about weight. That they will show up anytime, anywhere. They they don't care what the weight is. Um, and Patricio's actually already back in training. He, um, I want to say, he went back in training like two weeks ago. And uh, I know Strauss is back. Uh, he, he got cleared uh, about a month ago, I want to say. So, you know, he's yeah, right back. Uh, he's been frustrated. I'm fr- I'm really good friends with Strauss. And I know that, that hand situation has been really frustrating with him, you know. Yeah, because he had and, some setbacks. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what he's to do right there. You know, um, he's, I mean, man, it's just, you know, the battles he's had in that Bellator cage and, 
I'm not sure exactly what they do with him next in terms of who would who would be the guy uh, to put him in there against. I mean, maybe you know Daniel Feichel. Maybe you go that route. Um, I, I I wouldn't mind seeing Strauss and Pitbull again. Yeah, that dude, man, he just fights, man. That, that dude, that's my boy. I mean, when I say Dan Strauss, my boy, like he is my boy. I, I live with him sometimes when I go down to the train. But I hate sparring with him because I'm like, we're friends. Then we touch gloves, and it's like he don't even know me. He's like trying to take my head off, and I'm like, I hate motherfucker, you know. Well, it's like I was, it, it's I was doing an interview with uh, Douglas Lima, and he was talking about. He's like, yeah, I spar with my brother, and I'm like, okay, so how do you hit your brother hard? You know, and he's like, oh, you know, so we don't go full, but you know, then I asked Diego about it, and he's like. Oh yeah, we train. He goes. It may not be a hundred percent. It's about ninety percent. He goes. The punches are flinging. I believe it. I can see Douglas thinking that he don't. He don't hit people. I've watched him swallow people, and like I ain't. I ain't about that life. I, ain't, I grapple with your ass, but we ain't throwing hands. <laughs> uh, and I've just seen him like just embarrass people, and he just looks like he. Just, he looks like he's just like light sparring, but all I heard. Bing, boom, pop. I was like, man, no. So, yeah, I can see how he probably thinks he's not going hard, but he really is. Have you gone down the ATT since they uh, moved into the new building? Yeah, yeah. I just got back from ATT uh, at the beginning of August, so I was there most of the summer. I mean, I, I've, I've been to the old facility. I haven't been to the new facility, but I've heard the new facility is just ginormous. Yeah, it's, it's nice. It's stated art. It's... I mean, the old one was was pretty nice too. I mean, but because uh, I think someone was telling me it's forty thousand square feet between. I don't know what's it's what's, huge. It's, it's 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 literally like three three buildings combined. Oh, it's it's. Well, you've got the I mean, dorm. It doesn't look like a fight gym. It looks like a freaking. Huh? You got the dorms that are there now. Yeah, and yeah, that seems to be the new trend in MMA gyms. I know uh, at Jackson Wink, they have dorms at their new facility. ATT's doing it. It seems to be that's kind of the new wave in MMA gyms. Yeah, it, it, it's cost effective. I mean, they even got a, they've got a juice place down there at the gym, you know. It's run by uh, Jessica Agnes. Yeah, yeah, it's her place, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really so, uh, you know, we're all interested to see what happens with you next. Uh, let everyone know they can follow you out on social media, man. Yeah, uh, Instagram and my Twitter are ejizzle149. Um, you can follow me on uh, Facebook, EJ Brooks MMA. And uh, check your boy out. Hopefully I got a fight soon, you know. Hopefully. Uh, by the way, in Kansas City, you got any recommendations for uh, some barbecue joints? I'm there next weekend. Uh, any, any recommendations? Because I think the place, the last time we played a game in Kansas City, I think the place we went to burned down. Well, I mean, I'm from St. Louis. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah. But you got to know some places in Kansas City. I've been to some places in Kansas City. I just don't know the names of them. Like, I'm, you got to hit up a guy named Scott Cutburst. Scott Cutburst. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll hit up Scott, yeah. Scott or Jason Hyde. Those guys, those guys would know. And James Cross probably would, too. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's, uh, since he got hurt, he's probably snacking on some ribs right now. Yeah, he he was uh, supposed to be in the co main event uh, against Ross Pearson. Yeah, I was really looking forward to that fight. I know he was too. You know, one of the things about James Krause, you know, people I think don't understand the that fact that he's a head coach there at Glory. 
Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's his gym. He uh, that's one hard working dude, man. And I, I got a lot of respect for him. Yeah, so uh, I, I always Kansas City, the Arrowhead. That is it, it, probably the loudest stadium in the NFL. It's crazy how loud. I mean, Seattle gets loud in terms of, of outdoor venues. Uh, Kansas City is probably the loudest in the league. Seattle's really loud. Well, I can tell you one place that wasn't loud: the Rams Dome here when they were here. <laughs> Uh, we, uh, cause I, I work for the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers radio network. So we played St. Louis in, I want to say it was the last home game they had last year. Yeah. There may have been 20,000 people in the building. I mean, it was, it was bad. Yeah. You know, you, you know, you, you feel bad for all the football fans there. They, you know, it, you know, they, they lose their franchise and, you know, obviously, you know, everything that happened there. I mean, you, you feel bad for the fans. Do you, do you even watch the Rams anymore now that they're in L.A.? Here, here's my situation. I initially felt like, you know, if your parents get divorced and your mom takes the kids, as a father, do you not still love your kids? I know you hate your wife, yeah, your ex-wife, for taking the kids, but the, your, your kids didn't, like, actually. She did. So that's how I feel about the Rams. I feel like the Rams are my kids, and, you know, the owner is my ex-wife. But now I'm just like, man, I need to move on and let go. I need to find me a new team. And the shitty thing is, is I was a Dallas Cowboy fan growing up because I like Deion Sanders. And I know that fucking Jerry Jones was the main reason why the Rams are gone. Like, he helped orchestrate them leaving. Uh, so I'm just stuck. I, I mean, I'm either going to be a Packer, Colts, or possibly Cowboys fan here soon. Cowboys I'm in my a great year. Yeah, I like Dak Prescott a lot. Yeah, you can't go back to Tony Romo at this point. No, no, you just can't. You, can't. you got you got to stick with the hot hand. I mean, it's kind of, yeah. you know, I mean, I get Tony's been the face of that franchise for a long time, but man, I mean, they're what seven one eight one now. Yeah, and, and by they're finally, and for, the cow- they're finally the Cowboys that everybody have expected them to be. And for anyone who's not been to that stadium. I can't tell you how huge that video board is. I mean, literally during the game, as I'm sitting there in the booth working the broadcast, I don't watch the field. I'm watching the video screen. It's so huge. It has to be like from the 20 to the 20. It's crazy. Wow. I wouldn't mind going. Yeah, fucking. uh, I'm going to have to tell my boy, uh, Derek Lewis, uh, I'm supposed to help him uh, train for his next fight soon and work on his wrestling. But uh, best best you, follower, best fighter to follow on Twitter. Dude, easy, easy. His social media game is hilarious. <laughs> I, I remember they announced his fight against the Russian, and he and he he put the guy's picture up, and he you know he pulled the whole Connor line. Who the f is this? You know, he, it's just he he's so I mean like. He gets yeah. it, and he is becoming a star. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it's one of those things where a lot of fighters, man, you want to know how to get attention, man, look at Derek Lewis. A perfect example of a guy that yeah. it, it's kind of like it's it's become like this cult following of, of the hardcore MMA fans that have just like maybe didn't know who Derek Lewis was, but they follow him on social media, and, and now that it's like, hey, you got to watch him fight. Yeah. And he be knocking people out, man. Yeah. God. And of course, uh, Francis and Juan, who's on the card, the the French heavyweight, is another guy to look out for. 
I have a feeling at some point uh, Injuanu and Lewis are they're going to meet meet each other. But I think they're going like to keep him on the, anybody, on several halves. Anybody that's not going to try and take him down, I like Lewis. You yeah, know? I mean he was he was smacking uh, Nelson around silly, and I mean Nelson was just like, "Nah, I got to grab you, brother." <laughs> hey, and that's not Roy's game, you know. Roy's always a guy that I mean, even though he's great, he's a great grappler. Um, yeah. he, he doesn't really use his grappler. He used a dead knife. <laughs> he did use a bad knife, but of course, uh, UFC 205 coming up this weekend. EJ, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. We'll definitely have to get you on in the future, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Radio Influence brings you the best in digital media broadcasting. When it comes to sports, we've got experts like national sports radio host Rich Herrera, the fabulous sports babe, former Major League Baseball manager Kevin Kennedy, and former Bellator matchmaker Sam Kaplan. Want a good laugh? Then go on the beach with Pants and Roller Girl, or just LOL with Nancy Alexander. And when it comes to real life, Dangerous Conversation with Scott Ledger and Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill will make you think. When it comes to what you want, Radio Influence has you covered. Find our programming on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.